copy of the scriptures, let's, sorry about that, let's look together at Mark 13 this morning. Mark 13, we're going to try to tackle this entire chapter today. I will read the first eight verses and then I'm going to read the last few verses, 32 through 37. Should be printed on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 13, this, this is God's word. So let's hear it together with expectation, with hope. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Let's look together at the last few verses of this chapter. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. Let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, we have visibly seen a picture of your gospel. That you are the one that washes away sin. You are the one that seeks us. You are the one that makes promises. You're the one that pursues. You're the one that brings us to yourself. Lord, as we look here at Mark 13, would you, would you remind us afresh that we are, we are not of this world for long. Our days are short. Our power is little. Oh Lord, convince us that life is not meaningless. Convince us that we do have purpose. Remind us that you have not been disproven. Remind us that you are real and that you care about our lives and you care about how we live. Help us, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our hope, our King, our Lord. 
In him, in him I pray. Amen. As we look at Mark 13 together, you need to know from the outset that this is one of the more complicated chapters really in all the Bible. There are lots of things here that we're not going to be able to unpack today. There are parallel accounts in the Gospel of Matthew and shorter ones in the Gospel of Luke. This is a very complicated passage, so I'm going to try to make it simple. I might even repeat some things. Some of you might not even understand a lot of what's being said. As you can tell, I put more in my outline in the bulletin than I ever have before in, in the year plus I've been here, which isn't that long. So there's a lot we're going to try to cover. There's a lot that may not make a lot of sense. And I just want to tell you on the front end, it's okay. It's okay. But by God's grace, we will get everything that he wants us to. So let me start with this question. What are you expecting? What are you expecting in your future that affects your now? What are you hopeful for in the future that affects your now? There can be all kinds of answers to this, right? Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's just a new job. Maybe it's some other type of change. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's children. Maybe what you're hoping for, maybe your expectation is that you can just make it one more week. So you're just barely moving on. Just because you're trying to make it one more week. Maybe it's that vacation that hasn't come yet that you have planned this summer. And you're living in light of that expectation. You can't wait to go to the beach or see family or just get away. Maybe it's the holidays, birthdays, whatever is upcoming. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe if you're honest and thinking about that question, reflecting and thinking about what am I expecting in the future that affects my now, maybe if you're really honest, you have to say nothing. What I want to show you from this passage is that Jesus takes an off-handed comment, an off-handed remark, and he invites us to be part of his cosmic plan. What happens with this passage is that Jesus uses an off-handed remark and turns that into an invitation to you and an invitation to me and an invitation to us. And he says, why don't you come be a part of my plan, my cosmic plan, and what I am doing? As you can tell, it all starts with a simple conversation. This is one of the last times, as the chapter begins, chapter 13 begins, it's one of the last times that Jesus comes out of the temple. It's one of the last times... And one of his disciples commented to him, did you catch it as, we, as I read it? How amazing is this place? How beautiful is this temple? Isn't this incredible, Jesus? One of the Jewish historians in the first century named Josephus said that this building was quite magnificent. He even described this building as having stones that were 37 feet long by 12 feet high by 18 feet wide. Jesus, isn't this place amazing? 
Jesus responds in a way that you might not expect. You see these stones that you're looking at? Not one of them will remain. Remember, Jesus, from a couple chapters before this, was unimpressed with what was going on in the temple. Remember, the temple was to be the place where God's people gathered for worship and celebrated the glory of his grace and celebrated that something had substituted for their life. It was a place where the nations were supposed to be compelled because of his people's worship. The nations were supposed to be compelled to come. The temple was to be a place of prayer and thought and worship and depth and God-centeredness and joy, deep joy. And what he found is that people were just busy. That there were all kinds of religious activities going on and other activities that were just buying and selling. But he found that people's lives were just busy. They weren't really spiritual. They weren't really deep. And he was unimpressed. So Jesus was already unimpressed in what was going on in the temple. And here, he hears this word from a disciple. He hears this comment from a disciple. And he says, well, actually, not one of these beautiful stones are going to remain on, stacked on top of one another. It's all going to be taken down. And you can tell as I read in the story that as the conversation continued, they left the temple, they left Jerusalem, they went to the Mount of Olives, and it was there that there was a follow-up where Peter and James and John and Andrew, and they said, Jesus, well, when will these things be? Have you ever had that kind of conversation with someone? Perhaps you did this week. Coworker, neighbor, family, friend. Some at the grocery store, someone getting gas, in which you made some offhanded remark, or they made some offhanded remark for you, and it changed into a radically deep conversation. Have you ever had those moments? I remember when I was about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, riding down the highway with my dad. And we were going down the road, and for some reason, maybe it was the age, maybe it was my own insecurities, insecurities, who knows, but I remember just rolling down the highway, and all I noticed was that everybody seemed to be passing us. And I didn't like that. I mean, like big old dump trucks just passing us. And Dad and I weren't really talking, you know, it was just my observation. And I said, Dad, what? Why is everyone passing by us? Why is everyone just, why are we over here? And everyone's just zooming past us. Just an offhanded remark. Dad, you know, I was thinking in my mind, is there something wrong with the car? Are you okay? My dad's response was, son, I wish I could say this without smiling. Let me try. Son, it doesn't make you a man because you can push the gas pedal to the floor and drive faster than everyone else. Wow. As you can tell, I still remember that conversation. You probably have had those kind of encounters as well, in which you make some offhanded remark, and the person that you speak to all of a sudden changes it and goes really deep. That's what happens here with Jesus. It all starts with a simple conversation, and Jesus takes that opportunity to talk about the future 
to talk about his plan, his purpose, his cosmic plan for the world. And here's what Jesus wants us to know. I've given you five things. Here's what Jesus wants us to know. The first thing is that Jesus, in this chapter, verses 5 through 37, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, and he talks about his second coming. He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, and he talks about his second coming, that he's going to return. And actually, more of the focus of these verses is on the destruction of the temple than on his second coming. Here's a clue that that's true. If you look at verse 4, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus, when will these things be? If you look at verse 30, Jesus uses the exact same words, the exact same language in answering that question. Listen to what he says. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Jesus talks about the future in those verses. But primarily, he's focusing their attention and our attention on the destruction of the temple. You see, Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple, and that ends up happening around the year 70 AD. Jesus says it's going to happen, and it does. But you've got to realize that he's talking to Jews. He's explaining to them something that they thought would have been unfathomable. They still weren't really clear yet on exactly why Jesus is here and exactly what he was doing. They would have thought that the temple was God's plan for the world. And to hear Jesus say that this temple is going to be raised to the ground, that none of these stones are going to remain, that was unthinkable for them. You see, Jesus is saying, here's my plan. It's so much bigger than your little temple. It's so much bigger than Jerusalem. He is saying, disciples, don't you understand? My job, my plan in spreading my kingdom cannot be contained in this temple. There's a reason why those that you know the Bible a little bit more, why the veil was torn. That temple was no match for the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is ending all speculation and all hope that we might have of this temple being rebuilt. Don't expect it. It's not in the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. The temple in Jerusalem is too small. It's obsolete. His kingdom is covering the entire earth. That's what's been happening for the last 2,000 years. You see, he's pulling us in and he's saying, don't you realize that my plan is global? As we sit here in Greenville, North Carolina in the year 2014, isn't it amazing to realize that these words of Jesus are absolutely true? The temple was destroyed in AD 70. Jerusalem was sacked by this governor, not by this governor, by this general Titus that came in and he took it over. And it was exactly what Jesus wanted. It was exactly part of his plan to extend the kingdom out from Jerusalem. And he's covering the whole world. And he's still doing it. He's still extending his kingdom. 
You see, isn't this somewhat of a parallel to things that go on in our lives? Oftentimes we think that we have to have blank, and you fill in the blank, in order for God to work, right? Well, God, you need to do this in order for this to happen over here. You, you need to do this, and you need to see it kind of my way, even though we don't always say it that way. We think that God needs to do this in order for this to happen, and Jesus says to us over and over and over, No, I don't. No, I don't. You think that job is what you really want? Well, let me show you. Here it is. Oh, yeah. No, it's not, Lord. You're right. Jesus' plan is so much bigger. Two, Jesus says suffering is going to happen. Expect it. Look at verses 9. Look at verses 11 through 13. Look at verses 14 through 20. Suffering is going to happen. Jesus says it's going to happen. You see, what you believe matters, and not everybody is going to like it. When you say that your allegiance is the Lord Jesus Christ, there'll be those who don't love it. There'll be those who don't like it. There'll be those who don't respect it, and there'll be those who want to persecute you for it. It's true. But all someone can take from you, beloved, is some of your earthly comfort. That's it. Nothing else. That's it. And his people's suffering and going through persecution has been going on for thousands of years. And it's not going to stop until the Lord Jesus returns. And what that means, that persecution is going to continue and suffering is going to continue. It's going to happen. If you think that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to eliminate suffering and eliminate challenges in your life and eliminate persecution, it doesn't happen. But what the message of Christianity does tell you is that your suffering and your persecution are actually working in you for a greater weight of glory. What that means is the suffering that you will endure, the hardships that you will endure, it's working. It's not just happening to you. It's working in you. It's forcing you to look at things that are not seen instead of everything that you think is seen. When you endure hardship, you are learning that Christ suffered as well. When you endure challenges, you are learning that Christ also endured challenges. When you endure pain, you are learning that Christ also endured pain. When you endure persecution, you are learning that Jesus also endured persecution. And his pain and his challenges and his persecution were far worse. And that's not to minimize the reality of the pain and persecution and the challenges that you have. It's to ground them and connect them to something real. So that you don't have to think to yourself, oh, I just wish I could eliminate this pain, even though you can pray that way. Lord, I just wish that this persecution was over. True, we need to pray that way. But in the meantime, until the Lord removes pain and removes the challenges and removes the persecution, it means something. And it's working for our greater good. As hard as that is, it's true. God desires to make us more like Christ. God doesn't exist to give us a pain-free existence. 
His purpose is to make us understand that we are not here forever. And to be with him and to have his peace and his love is far greater comfort than any earthly comfort that anyone could ever take from us. Because God knows exactly how we feel. He's been there. So Jesus tells them, suffering is going to happen. Expect it. Three, people will try to deceive you about the future. I read some of these verses, 5 through 7. You'll also find that in verse 21 and verse 22. Jesus says twice in those verses, do not be led astray. Don't be led astray. People are going to try to lead you astray by predicting future events. People are going to try to take current events and they're going to try to give it all this kind of prophetic meaning and they're going to try to distract you. And Jesus says, don't mess with it. Don't let that bother you. Don't, do not be distracted, as, more, as a matter of fact, more forcefully. Don't be led astray by that. We live in a day and age in which this happens all the time still, doesn't it? I haven't counted, but I know that I've received several flyers since I've moved here about requesting my, requesting my presence at some type of prophecy conference. We've gotten several of those. Well, most of those, if not all, are centered around here's the events and here's what they mean on and on and on. And let me tell you, I throw them in the trash. They are distraction. They are trying to lead me astray. They are trying to get me to be paranoid in looking at the news and trying to interpret exactly what's going on. They are trying to guilt trip me into loving people that perhaps I haven't. They are trying to promote fear about what's going to happen or what could happen or what they think could happen. Jesus says, don't be led astray. Don't be distracted. You see, the way that most people in our day and age try to use prophecy in end times is all wrong. They try to present future events in order to scare people. They try to present future events as if they know everything that's worked out, and some have even predicted that they know when Christ is coming back. And let me tell you, they've been wrong. They've been wrong. And it's all a distraction. HBO has a series that just started called Leftovers. Have you heard about this? It's a distraction. Don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. As a matter of fact, when you think about biblical prophecy, go back and read the first chapter of Revelation. Those of you that come to Sunday school, you'll know that Colin is teaching a class through the book of Revelation. I would recommend that class to you. What you will find in Revelation in the first chapter in the third verse is that God pronounces a blessing for anyone that hears these words read and follows what he says in, those, in the book of Revelation. That they're blessed. The purpose of Revelation is not to scare you. 
It is to be a blessing to you. Not because you know all the future events, but because the whole purpose of Revelation is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first phrase of the first verse of the first chapter. The future is a blessing. It is not to scare you. It is not to scare you out of hell. It is to be a blessing to your heart and to your mind and to your life. Something that we are to revel in and look forward to. Not because we know all the details, precisely because we don't. And we're not trying to predict them. And we're not trying to read the news into everything that we think we might see in the Bible, which is incredibly speculative. Jesus says, don't be led astray by those who are trying to distract you with details that you will not know. You see, the reason why Jesus says people will try to deceive you and lead you astray is connected to the next one is that we don't know when Jesus will return. Verse 32 and verse 33, I read those to you. No one knows the day or the hour. You won't. Now, you can try to convince Jesus that he's wrong. It doesn't work. You don't know. He didn't know in his human form. It was something that he was learning Jesus doesn't know. He didn't know when he wrote this. You don't know. Events that, we're going, that are happening in the world are a reminder that there is an end. When you see wars, when you see famines, when you see persecution, it is simply a reminder that the end is coming. That's why Jesus tells us in verse 8 that these are like birth pains. Those of you that have children know that every labor is different, you know? Labor pains don't predict the timing of delivery. They just indicate the process has started, right? Jesus is saying these events that are going to happen in the world, they're just birth pains, they're just going to happen. It's not telling you when the end is going to come. It's just saying that all this has initiated, all this has started. That's why you can read 1 Corinthians 10 and hear from the first century author, the Apostle Paul, that he writes to us on whom the end of the ages has come. That's why you can read Revelation 1.9, that John is a partner in the tribulation. John, the one that wrote the book of Revelation, is a partner in the tribulation. That's why you can read in Acts chapter 2 and in Hebrews 1 that the last days have, been, have come. They're here. Because from God's perspective, when Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again, the last days have come with the incarnation, with Jesus coming to this world. The last days were initiated. And they've been going on 2,000 years. We've been in the last days for a long, long, long time. Jesus tells us also what he wants us to focus on until he returns. I guess he's doing that because oftentimes we get led astray so easily 
And we think, well, if that's not what I'm supposed to do, if I'm not supposed to try to figure out what's going to happen and how all this stuff is going to play out and when this is going to have this domino effect and this and this, if that's not what I'm supposed to do, Jesus, if I'm, what am I supposed to do then? Well, this is what he tells us in this chapter. Look at some of these. He gives us an analogy in verse 34 through 37. He says, just imagine this. It's like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. You see, Jesus is going on a journey. He was going to the cross, and then he was going to be raised from the dead, and then he was going to ascend into heaven. And he even told us that it was better for him, excuse me, better for us, that he would leave so that the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus is on this journey, and until he comes back, he's given us things to do. He's entrusted to us work. And what that looks like is, verse 5, that we shouldn't be led astray. What that looks like is, verse 35 and 37, that we should stay alert. We should stay awake. It looks like, verse 9 and verse 23, that we need to be on guard. What it looks like is, verse 7, that we shouldn't be alarmed. What it looks like is verse 11. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Easier said than done, right? It looks like verse 11, excuse me, verse 13, that we need to endure to the end. You see, if all that confused you, let's just recap real quick. Remember the conversation. Jesus, isn't this temple beautiful? Isn't this place amazing? Jesus says, it's going to be destroyed. But I'm coming back. Just keep going. I'm coming back. You just keep going. You see, how does all this fit together? How can I remain alert? How can I not be led astray? How can I endure to the end? How can I not expect the temple to be rebuilt? How can I avoid being anxious or being scared or reading some of these things is just disturbing? All this talk about persecution that's going to happen? You see, Jesus is returning. Verse 26 tells you. And when Jesus returns, he is coming in the clouds with power and glory. That's what it says. When Jesus returns, he is going to put an end to everything that is contrary to his glory. When Jesus returns, he is going to display his glory, and he is going to renew and renovate the world, this world. He is going to purify it, and the new heavens and the new earth are going to come down. And where we live is going to be beautiful. His glory is going to permeate everything. Jesus is coming back with power. And that means if he's coming back with power, and if he's coming back with glory, then he's going to make everything right. And that means what you're doing now matters. In our efforts collectively and individually to spread his kingdom and spread his glory and live his gospel and gossip his gospel every day of the week 
share his gospel every day of the week, what happens is that he blesses that because he is extending his kingdom. And what that means is I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be surprised when I hear persecutions in other parts of the world or when I feel anxious about what may or may not happen. I don't need to be led astray by someone saying, well, let me tell you what's happening because when this happens, then this is going to happen, then this and this and this are going to happen. No. We can anticipate the persecutions and not be surprised. We can admit our anxiety and refocus our attention on the Lord Jesus. We can expect persecutions to happen. We can expect difficult times, not because we should be pessimistic, but because Jesus said it's going to happen, and that he's in charge of everything, and that he's coming back. Remember that Jesus is on his way to the cross. He told his disciples this in chapter 13, before the event that sets all of this in chapter 13 in motion. What sets, the, what sets everything in motion of the destruction of the temple, never to be rebuilt? What sets in motion persecution? What sets in motion the spread of his glory? What sets in motion that he's taking his kingdom to the world? What sets in motion that he's going to return? What sets in motion the answer to my anxiety and the answer to my fear and the answer to the question, what am I expecting that impacts my now? It's the death and resurrection of your Savior. Do you want to know what changes your tomorrow and what changes your now more than anything else? Is the fact that the Lord Jesus was going to die to defeat sin he was going to die so that he might defeat death and Satan on the cross so that he can spread his glory, build his church everywhere so that his power is more powerful than any resistance that anyone can ever muster against it. And that means in the midst of our struggles, that his power and his kingdom are greater. So what Jesus tells us is keep going and don't stop looking to me. Don't get led astray by what everybody else says may or may not happen. You just listen to me. Look to me. Look to me, Jesus says. Because if you have me, you have everything. Your reason to go to work tomorrow, your reason to love your children, your reason to spread the word, your reason to give to the church, your reason to love your neighbor, your reason to love your enemy, the reason you need to do battle with your anxiety is found in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to go to the cross. And that your cross is what brings us confidence, it's what brings obedience, it's what brings us hope when we don't know the future. Lord Jesus, I admit that there are times in my life in which I have been distracted, I have been led astray by what future events may happen and thinking on those things way more than I ought.
And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for reminding me that we don't know, that I don't know the future. I can expect the spread of your glory. I can expect persecution. I can expect trials. And I can expect you to come back with power and glory. And Jesus, I don't look forward to that as much as I should. So I pray that you would help us by challenging us, by pressing us, Lord. If, if we have been led astray, bring us back. If we're anxious, may we bring that to the cross. If we are struggling because we are pessimistic about the future, let us bring us back, Lord, to you and the victory that you have purchased through the cross. May we remember that these words here in Mark 13 are meant to encourage your disciples that the future is, is sure. It's, it's going to happen. You are going to come back. So Jesus, may we take your word seriously and be alert and not deceived and faithfully fulfilling all the responsibilities that you have entrusted to us. May we do that depending upon you with an eye for your glory and your return. In your name I pray, amen.